Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's easy to push suffering into the fine print of the Christian life. We want so much to talk only about how much better our lives are with Christ, and they are, but it's not the whole story. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, Acceptance, with the first part of this message entitled, I Can Now Accept Suffering, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's ask God to give him thanks and ask for him to bless as we teach. Father, thank you for this special day in this church, just to be a, a marker to say, look what you've done in these 41 years. We're very, very grateful. Uh, Father, we are thankful for what you're doing, not in just this church, but the collection of churches that gather together and uh, who serve you as a united body. I pray, Father, that you would bless and continue to bless there. And thank you for the expressions of, uh, of love, a greater love than even the world typically shows. So I ask that you would continue to bless in those arenas. And we ask you now that you would please speak to our hearts. And we would ask that as we break open your word, that you might literally feed our souls. Grant that, we ask, in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. For you that join us for the first time, we're in a part of a series or in a series called Romans 8. Obviously, a series on the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. Perhaps the greatest of all chapters of the Bible, some say. But a great chapter, for sure. In this particular series, we're talking about what I refer to as perhaps the four greatest gifts of the Christian faith. If they're not the greatest, they're among the greatest for sure. And it really expresses the great advantage that Christians have in our faith. It should be very encouraging as a series. And so I'm going to put before you the four subject matters that are covered in this chapter, at least the way I outline it. Uh, Number one, acceptance in the first 17 verses. First great advantage, I can now experience divine acceptance. If you've not gone through those 17 verses before, I would encourage you to do this. This is a foundation for healthy Christian living. Until you understand why you are lovable before God, as sinful as you may see your heart, until you understand how accepted you are by God, you can't go to the second base. You've got to get onto that first base. Then number two, we did spent three weeks on number one. Number two, we start today for three weeks, suffering, verses 18 through 27, with the theme of that being, I can now accept suffering. I can actually suffer and say, okay, I think I understand, I get the understanding of suffering. So we'll be covering that. Next year, we'll come back to Romans 8, and we'll hopefully finish the series talking about 28 through 30, assurance, I can now expect good from all things, and then security is great text, 31 through 39, I can now be certain of eternal life. So we'll be covering that in the year to come. Now, I want you to, uh, uh, to assume with me, and I'll speak from the lady's perspective on this particular analogy, that you have gotten a phone call from a long-lost high school friend, somebody you haven't seen for years and years. You've lost touch. You have no idea what's happened in their life. Last you knew, you were in high school. 
And now you get this phone call and you're so interested to find out what's going on in your life. Tell me about life. What's it been? And she says, well, you, you remember so-and-so and she mentions a man's name who happened to be the star athlete at the high school. Uh, the most loved and respected of the men, kind of the one the ladies said, boy, he's got to be the most handsome guy in our school. I mean, he was kind of at the top of the, uh, of the, of the ladder in terms of popularity. And she says, I, I, I did marry him. Um, I, I started a career, and the career flourished for a very, very, very long time. We've had children. We have three children and a very attractive children. Uh, and, and then we actually received an inheritance that we never had expected. And it literally is for millions and millions and millions of dollars. And we've had every resource we could even think about needing and beyond. And so as you listen, you respond without the truth and you say, I'm so happy for you. And you're sitting there saying, has just everything been perfect in this person's life? And you feel that sense of jealousy and kind of why, and oh, my life's not so well. And then she says, however. And with the word however, she says, you know, my husband was not who people thought he was, not who I thought he was. He had issues that you can't imagine, abusive as abusive can be. And I guess I can say gladly he abandoned our family. Who knows which was worse? But I'll tell you this, he has actually left destruction in his pathway and, and I've been in that pathway. And you know those, those children that, that uh, I referred to, well... Actually, one of them has battled depression all of her life, and she just recently ended her life with suicide. I've never known pain as deep as I've experienced. And though money doesn't mean so much to me as it used to, might as well not, because my husband took all the money. It's gone. And we're basically left in poverty. Now, all of a sudden, you have a totally different appreciation for what she's gone through. And you realize this, that had there been a period at the end of the first half of the story, it would have been totally misleading. See, I'm convinced that the Christian church in large parts has been misled by hearing only part of the story. They either hear a part that says, hey, things should be good as a Christian, and God is not going to have anything to do with the bad things that happen in life, particularly suffering, pain, all the deep things that hurt so deeply. He's not going to have anything to do with that. He's fighting for you in such a way to try to deliver you from it, and if you'll have faith, if you'll just be who you should be, you can avoid those things. You can find healing from those things in a way that, and that's the story we hear. Or we hear the story, yeah, there's going to be suffering and God's a part of the suffering, but let me tell you, it's just it, period. Life is just tough and you're going to suffer. 
Folks, that is just part of the story. And this text that we're reading is going to pick up and tell us the balance of that story. In fact, we could be misled with just what we've gone through over the last three weeks, the first 17 verses, until you get right to verse 17, you would never even think about the subject of suffering. All you hear are these wonderful blessings of salvation. I mean, here they are. Eternal security, verse 1. Freedom from sin, verse 2. Receiving Christ's righteousness, verse 10. Verse 14, we are led by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 15, we're spiritually adopted. And in the next verse, it talks about the great inheritance that we have as sons. It's like, wow, that's just as good a news as you can have. And he says, yes, it is, but you need to know the rest of the story. And so he just slides in that word, if we suffer with Christ. The word suffer is thrown in there. And then he's going to develop that theme for the next verses so that now we get what I call a good biblical theology of suffering I tell you the the need of the church today is a good biblical theology you know one of the great things that I'm appreciative of and partly because we keep going through Romans as we go through Romans and Romans and Romans but this this church I've heard countless numbers through the decades who have come to me to say thank you for this church because I got a biblical theology of suffering, and I've used the analogy over and over. We need, to, we need to, to make a wardrobe that we can put on in the bitter, cold, the windy, chilly days of suffering as they hit us, freezing days. And we come, we say, I can't survive the cold, except I had a good biblical theology, a wardrobe of suffering, and I put it on. And it saved me through the darkest hours. Let me tell you, folks, we got to have that. We got to have it. I'm going to ask you, if you would, now in honor of the author that gives us this fabulous text, let's stand together. I'll read, you follow. Take note, this is the Word of God. It reads as follows The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Folks, this is a fabulous text. Oh, to understand it. And let's sit and let's see if we can achieve that. You know how you know that you've got it, understood this subject matter of suffering? This kind of gives us the the end goal here. Here's how you know. You know because not only do you endure the suffering, but you actually find yourself rejoicing in the suffering. You know why? Because you begin to see that God had something in store in our suffering that we would have never anticipated. And you began to see the beauty of it. Carol and I just got back a week and a half or so ago. We got back from a vacation, just the two of us together. Uh, We went to Yellowstone National Park and the Grand Tetons. Man, magnificent, fabulous, beautiful. And here in all of this mass uh, of of God's beautiful creation, you see how it's been, in a sense, ruined by the forest fires. Our guide would say, oh, this was the, the fire of, and name a fire four decades ago. It took out a third of the entire park. You go, wow. Oh, all from lightning. Oh, and this is the fire of, and it took out this much. And, and you know, it used to be that we thought, man, we got to fight these fires. We got to put them out. We don't do that now. What we do now is we let those fires rage. Keep going, keep going. Oh, we, we protect life and, and property of individuals. We certainly want to do that. But beyond that, it's like, let them go. Let them go, let them go. I would see all of these acres and acres as you can see as far as you can see and here are trees by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are laying down the ground and and just make a landscape that otherwise would be so beautiful you see the young little trees coming up you see all the i think my goodness obviously you can't move all those but you'd be on roads and you're driving on a road and here all of a sudden one of those is falling across the road they don't remove it they just cut that little piece out where the road is and lay it aside. And I say, why don't they beautify this place a little bit? You know, take some of this stuff out. And then we learn, oh, no, no, no. We don't do that anymore. Because it's the best thing that could ever happen. What do you mean? Well, you, you see, we need these fires. Now, they were attributing to nature what we would attribute to God. But they say, you know, there's so many things we've learned. Do you know that in all of these pines with the, the cones that they have that, oh yeah, they, they die and the, the cones fall off and, and, and they have seed that is going to reproduce of their kind and so forth and so on, but, 
But you know there's a second seed in those cones that will never ever be released unless it is put in fire. And it brings up a different type of foliage that is the things that are needed for in the ecosystem for this particular animal and this particular whatever and so forth and say we found out how badly that's needed. Oh, and then we realize that as that rots in the ground, leave it there forever till it rots because that becomes the very food for the insects, that becomes the foods for the birds and it just keeps going on and on and on. And oh, we realize that when those things fall and rot, they turn into soil, but far richer soil than ever existed prior to the damage that was done. And I sit there and I just hear the analogy of, of God in his work in our lives. And we don't understand that. We're like the, the early days. Oh, it's terrible. You know, there's been a, a strike of lightning and there's, there's been a, there, there's, well, you don't like it and, and you're concerned for life and property, but at the same time you go, I understand the rest of that story now. It makes you look at everything totally different. So we're going to look at a number of statements and that come from the basic teaching of the text that we've read. And we're going to hit two of the several this one week. They're brief, but they're important. So let's look at number one. Number one is for the Christian, there is a direct correlation between suffering and glory. So let's look at verses 16 and 17 one more time. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's what we studied last week. But we didn't really delve into the last piece of it, which says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Suffer and glorified. Now, to understand the word glory, most of the people who have been here very long in this church, I'm speaking to the newcomers, they, they kind of know this. Because we, we rehearse this regularly. But you need to know glory in the Bible is used three different ways. It's the glory of God. He's a glorious God. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. On earth peace and so forth. Christmas time. But this is a third type of glory. It's glory that comes from God. I mean it's talked about all over scripture. Glory it means renown. It means splendor. And it's the very thing that God placed in his creation. And he put it in mankind. In the very beginning of humanity. And we had this thing called glory. But you don't go far in the biblical record before you see that we turn from God. We rebel against him. We call it sin. The fallen condition. And now you read about it in this same book of Romans in chapter 3. For all is sin falls short of the glory of God. It's stripped from us. and We don't have that glory. And then as we talked about last week, there's the union. We have the mystical union with Christ. Christ in us, us in him. We can't quite comprehend that, but it is glorious in itself. And when that happens, now we get a deposit of glory that we've always been longing for. Colossians 1.27 says, And Jesus is the hope of glory. So in Christ, we get that deposit of glory. But then you find in 2 Corinthians, it tells us in chapter 3 that as we pursue Jesus more and more and more and more, follow truth more and more and more and more, what happens? 
Well, the good news is that glory is added to glory. Another translation says an ever-increasing glory. Wow. Which means life gets richer and richer and richer in our experience as we have glory added more and more and more. Now, I want you to hear this, so I'm going to put it in print. It's a little statement, but it is so important. Until Christ comes back, suffering is a primary pathway to further glory. You want glory? You got to have suffering. It will not happen without. We learned last week that we share the sonship with God. And if we share His sonship, we share His glory. But it requires us to share in His suffering. Now, if you look at all of life, I, I think you would agree, there's no place in life that you don't find great glory being attached to suffering. Uh, take the Olympians. Uh, take the, the great professional athletes. Uh, take the stars in, in, in dance or whatever. And go to them and say, hey, all the glory you're getting from all the things, the accolades, and all the things you've done, uh, was there any suffering that you've had to experience to get here and Every one of them would say, are you kidding me? It's been pain, added to pain, added to pain to get this glory. You look at childbirth, moms. How many of you would say, yeah, I had a kid and it was easy. There was nothing to it. No, there's going to be some suffering that goes before the glory. How about Jesus? I mean, of the three persons of the triune God, which one do we exalt as head over all? The very Son of God who suffered the agony and pain of a crucifixion and beyond. Man, it, it just goes together. There, there's no replacing of it. We studied last week this mystical union. We go, oh boy, we, we love the sonship and we love the inheritance and then all of a sudden we hit this subject matter that comes up, the suffering, and then the glory. You cannot just take it out. I'm going to encourage you folks, is, I hope you to know, know God heals today. We see it in this church. Uh, we've seen it. You, it's documented. God heals. It is not the norm. It is the exception. He does it, and we should beg it and plead it because we get to see a glimpse of what's coming in the future. But when we find our theology saying, oh, there should be no suffering, suffering should be out of the equation, the Apostle Paul says, that is not true. It's as important as the other steps involved in it. It is not to be taken out. It is there. What does suffering do? Here's what it does. It reveals our functional saviors. It's a term I introduced last week. That someone or something that we look at thinking, this is what's going to give me everything I need in life. And all of a sudden, you go through deep, 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 deep suffering, and all of a sudden, God does his work and says, you know what, the stuff of this earth 
is nothing. The only one I can look to is the true Savior, Jesus. It drives us back to Him, which gives us the glory that we all want. So there's a correlation between the two. Let's look at the second and last point we'll look at today. It reads like this. For the Christian, there is an encouraging consolation during times of suffering. So there's a correlation, but there's a consolation. Verse 18 puts it this way. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Now again, I want you to to get this, so I'm going to put it in print up here so I can say it and and it's obviously online when, when you get our notes from the message if you wanted to look. But hear this carefully. Compare the worst of our present suffering with the reality of the future glory. And our suffering becomes bearable. It's not delightful. It's not fun. But it certainly can become bearable. You know why? Because we understand it's worthwhile. It gives us what we want most of all. You see, there's a power of comparison, is there not? Again, think about the, the person that is so much better off than you, like the phone call I just mentioned. Why is it that our sinful hearts do what they do? They become, they become discouraged and jealous and so forth. And then as we walk in the Spirit, we, oh, I can rejoice with those who rejoice, put that in proper perspective. But there is something that says, oh, I'm not, I'm not as well off as you are, at least in appearance. On the other hand, we find those that are in the most dire of circumstances, and we look at our own and say, maybe ours isn't too bad. I'm, I feel better about where I am because look, look what they're having to go through. It's just comparison. But God gives us something far beyond circumstances to look at for comparison. He says, no, no, what you're going to do is you're going to compare your circumstances with the glory that I have got for you, that future glory. Because you see, the end of the story of glory, as we call it, is that when Christ comes back, either before or after our death, We experience what's called glorification, meaning all full glory given to us. Wow. Just to imagine what that is does something to you. I love when I'm I'm having to to, uh, lead a service of someone's memorial or whatever. I, I just, as much as I grieve their loss... I sit there and say, hey, let's try to just get a little perspective. Let's just see if we can get a glimpse as if behind the curtains of of heaven and just see the glory that's been revealed to the one we love so much. Oh, just to set the mind and the heart on that. You see, the truth of it is, chapter 8 is trying to just tell us this in this text. He's saying, look, just keep comparing. Keep looking at the two. He uses the childbirth analogy in verse 22, which we'll get to later. Not today, but at another time. But I know this, that that the focus in childbirth is not the labor, it is the birth. That's the glory. The labor is the suffering. Now, we have four children. And our first, we were so excited, have our little child and Carol, at that time, we had this kind of teaching that was saying, hey, 
if you have an epidural, if you take medication that you may be damaging the baby, hurtful to the baby, and therefore if you can, don't use it and so forth. And Carol says, I'm not using it. And she starts going into a very, very, very long, they're all hard, but this is long and hard. Hours and hours and hours, and it was just horrific. And I'm going, epidural, epidural. <laughs> and she says, no. And she goes through this thing, and it was, oh, it was horrible. And, and when it's over, it's not, but two years later, she says, less than two years, let's do it again. <laughs> and I'm saying, do you not remember? I mean, I assumed then we were a one-child family from that point on. And she says, let's do it again. And she did it again. And then she did it a third and a fourth time. And you sit there and say, lady, are you crazy? You going to keep having children? Yeah. But the pain, the suffering, oh, yeah, but it's the glory that's revealed in that little infant. Unfortunately, that infant grows up and not so glorious always. <laughs> But the glory that is revealed, that's what it's all about. You see, you don't take pictures of labor. You take pictures of the baby. Except I took a picture of Carolyn Labor only once. And it is the only time in our marriage that I, I've never heard her raise her voice at me except this time. I've never heard her say to me what she said to me when I took that picture. Then there was a little flash at those times, and she sees what I've done. I thought it might be good to have a little memory of what she was going through. and <laughs> She might want to see this from my perspective at some point. You know, I'm just thinking that way, and, and I go, T and next thing I hear, Randy Pope, I hate you. <laughs> and she just heard after the first service, I'd use this illustration, and she said to me, and you know what? I meant every word of that. <laughs> See, you don't do that. The focus should never be on the labor. It's on the birth. It's on the glory. And folks, I'm telling you, you know what we're as Christians doing? We're just like this, zeroing in on our labor, on our suffering. How do I change my labor? How do I change my suffering? Why do I have to suffer? How is this? And little do we realize, God says, hey, look over here. Look at the glory that's to be revealed and understand how worthwhile suffering is when you realize it's going to drive you to glory. It's going to give you the very thing that's ultimately going to make you happy. It's the fires that make you beautiful. You've got to know that. You've got to know the rest of the story. And Paul is the one who says it. Do you know this is the guy that tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 that he was scourged five times. Do you know what that means? I don't even want to describe it. Beaten three times, stoned once, shipwrecked three times overnight in the water. He experienced starvation. He experienced being exposed in the winter when it was freezing. And the list just goes on and on. And he tells us, this suffering, it's okay. Not wanted. Nobody desires it. No one should go for it. But when it comes, 
Set your eyes on glory. Let me conclude with this. I'm going to repeat it again next week. I'll warn you. Because this statement is what I long for my grandchildren. Outside of them coming to faith in Jesus, if I could say, my grandkids, get, understand, embrace this statement right here, big wars have been won in their life. I put it like this. Life's greatest problems are not so much caused by our tragic circumstances as they are by our improper response to those circumstances. Read that one more time. Life's greatest problems are not caused by our tragic circumstances, as, as hard as they are. They are a result of an improper response to those circumstances. And you know what the root cause is? The root cause of that is a failure to believe in the unconditional love of God. Oh, God must not love me too much if he's letting this happen to me. God must not love his forest if he'll let lightning strike it. No, we just don't understand. And once we do, oh, does it make a difference. See, in Romans 8, God is saying to his children, you matter to me. And then he's saying, please, do not let suffering ever make you think differently than that because you haven't seen the whole story. And you cannot see the whole story until you go to Calvary Cross and you see what Jesus has done and you begin to learn of his unconditional love. And then you say, God, thank you. You want me to experience glory. Thank you. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for seekers among us, those that have maybe viewed that you must be a bad God to let suffering take place, and we know we're not for our own sin, that that's why suffering ever came about. But, Lord, in light of that, we, we say we're sorry. Some of us as seekers would say, I, I'm really sorry. I've, I've, I've really not credited you with being God. And I want to now, and I see your love through Calvary's cross, and I, I really want to yield my life to you, and I want you to be my, my father on this Father's Day. Would you enter into my life now? Would you make me a whole different person? Thank you for your love that's so unconditional. Father, those of us that are Christians, we want to say we're sorry for the fact that we have just been so myopic on these, our suffering. We've just been staring at our suffering all the time, and why and how do I change this and how can I make it better and why does it need to be and oh God let us look beyond and see the glory that we have the potential of receiving now even through our suffering and we do pray we'd like the suffering to end and we pray that weekly and you do that but Father you at the same time have a better picture than we do so we surrender to that picture And we yield to it in a way to say, thank you, we love you. Let us rejoice even in our suffering, we pray. In the great name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information 
to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.